0: All right. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Isaac's Autism Wild podcast. Today, we were talking about how we choose therapy providers for our kiddos with special needs. And I have a couple of moms joining me today. Um, So thank you, guys. We're actually recording on a Saturday morning. So you know that can be a challenge in and of itself uh, versus doing it in the afternoon or in the evening. So thanks for uh, taking time out of your Saturday to join me. Uh, So we have a few things that happen in the special needs world uh, when we're choosing therapy providers. One is, is that we're looking for a certain type of therapy. And unfortunately, in our area, there's a lot of wait lists for different therapy interventions. And so a lot of times we don't have the option of which therapy center we You know, we don't get the opportunity to interview like five therapy centers and then make the decision as to which one we want to go to. So I just wanted to kind of talk a little bit about that, uh, because there is some choices once you get into a therapy center, because... You know, there's multiple providers. And so there are some things that we can do to decide which therapy provider we want to use within a certain center. So I want to just kind of talk to my guests today and find out what are important things in all scenarios when you're choosing a therapy intervention provider. What are things that you guys look for when it comes to choosing a center or a
1: therapy intervention um, individual? How about you, Tani? Uh, sure. Um, My name is Tanya. I have a 10 year old with autism and he has been receiving private therapies on and off since he was five. Um, One of the things I look for is one. um, I usually get recommendations from other parents first of like who they've had a good experience with when I first start searching. And then um, the other thing is also looking at scheduling. Because one of the biggest challenges I found with finding therapy providers is they have lots of openings oftentimes during the school day, but when you have a child who is in school, that's that always, doesn't always work, but all the after school slots are the ones that are filled up quickly. That is true. Now we've had a podcast
0: in the past about ways that we can kind of finagle some of those things, and maybe we'll toss those in as we're talking, just in case you missed that episode of our podcast where we talked about navigating wait lists. But I think that's a really good, uh, a really good piece of advice. Now, Tanya, when you're asking for parents' perspectives. Where do you go to get those? I mean, I, I can answer this question for you because I know um, we are friends on Facebook and such, but I just, for the sake of people that are
1: listening, what are, where are ways or places that you go to get parent feedback? Um, usually social media. Yeah. Yep. That's the, probably the biggest one. Um, and then sometimes just through life and stuff, I just happen to know other parents of kids with special needs. And I can, sometimes will just like, Personally, like text them if I already have friends that and get their opinions too. Yeah, that's true. Carly is joining
0: us today, and this is actually her her very first podcast where she's joining us. So I'm so excited that you're doing this. And Carly, would you mind just giving us a little bit of background on you and your kiddos, just so that you know people are familiar with with you and and kind of your autism uh, journey so far?
2: Yeah, um, we actually went a different route than probably a lot of people that are on your podcast. And we met our boys through the foster system. We became licensed foster parents and went to work one morning and noon that day got a phone call that there were twin newborns that needed picked up from the hospital. And that started our journey with our boys with kids in general what um, did you go call it it? (laughs) oh my goodness oh it was we had done respite care Uh, for those who aren't really with foster it's it's kind of like babysitting other foster kids for foster parents because you can't just let anyone watch your foster child so we'd done that before and I get this phone call And I call my mom, and I was like, "Mom, we're getting twin boys. Like, I don't know what to do, but I I need things." And she was like, "Oh, but I mean, rest it. They should come with everything they need, shouldn't they?" And I was like, "No, mom. Like, we're bringing home like they are our foster children. We are bringing home twin boys." And so we ran off to Target. I'm a big lover of Target. (laughs) It's some of my self care (laughs) places. Um, Ran off to Target and stocked up on everything we could think of that we might need for newborn twin boys and headed off to the hospital. And our life has never been the same since then. (laughs) Yes, you're absolutely right now. Um, so you,
0: so you had your twin boys and of course it was, it took some time before you realized that they weren't meeting all their milestones, correct?
2: (laughs) Yes, we fortunately we are in with a phenomenal pediatrician Um, and I think that would be like my biggest advice to parents especially if you have like younger kids is make sure you have a pediatrician that you love and trust because she has been like the captain of our ship this whole time. I mean, tell us our name. We want to definitely give her some Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, We see Kathy Ormsby at Providence Pediatric Associates. Love when we have writers. We got to give them shout outs because we want Yeah, she's, she's so great and she's so connected into a great world of specialists and so I knew other parents that had used her as a pediatrician and trusted her so I felt like I could trust her and we just went with referrals that she started giving them to us. Our boys came from a very tough pregnancy background. And so we, though, you know, as a newborn, you don't know that they're going to be delayed or have signs of autism. We did have other things that were prevalent right away. And so that's kind of how we got started into our world at our therapy center as we were referred out for feeding therapy and physical therapy, which I didn't even know was a thing with newborns, but because feeding therapy and physical therapy. They were weren't they? Weren't they very small? They ones? were. Yeah. And um, they were born six weeks premature. So came home small. They'd spent three weeks in the NICU. They'd had all sorts of uphill battles while they were in the NICU. So yeah, we started right out the gate. Yeah, and she referred us to a therapy center. And like I said, I felt like I could trust her because of other parents experience with her. And we kind of just hit the ground running with that therapy center and started with those two therapies and have have grown from there.
0: Gotcha. Well, and that's one thing too, is, is again, you know, sometimes we get referred by our primary care provider, pediatrician, and then other times we have to seek them out ourselves. And I think Tanya, it's a really good perspective of asking other parents. Another place just so that parents know where you can find, pediatricians are really good sources of being able to lead you in the direction of good providers to start out with. Um, As Tanya mentioned, Facebook groups, um, there are a few that um, we use here in Spokane that are special needs groups uh, specific to um, our region because each region is a little bit different. And obviously when you're looking for therapy intervention providers, finding a local group is important. I see at least, and I know both of you guys are in those groups too, some of those groups, but I I probably on a weekly basis, I'll see parents post asking for recommendations or, Hey, I got a call that there's an opening at this therapy center. Does anybody have any feedback that they're willing to share with me? And I think that's really important too. We also have a, a parent group, a mom's group and a parent group that gets together. And I know that sometimes when parents come to those, they'll ask, or they'll maybe have some concerns specifically about a therapy provider, and they're afraid to put it on Facebook because they don't want it to get back to the provider that they're unhappy. So, you know, going to a parent group where, you know, you can meet face-to-face. So then that way, again, people can't screenshot or share some of the things that you may have on social media. You can go to a parent group and ask those questions and and a lot of times, even if a family doesn't have direct knowledge about a therapy intervention provider, they might know another family that uses that center. And so they will make a warm introduction so that you can then connect with another family and then ask those questions. So, those are other ways that families will kind of vet out those therapy centers. Now, and I don't know if this is ever pertinent to you guys, sometimes you get into a therapy center and a couple things happen. One, maybe you just don't jive with the therapy provider that you're assigned to when you first join that therapy center, I have found actually that we have jived to start with, but then once your kiddos get to a certain place, maybe that may not be that same therapy provider's expertise. In other words, it's not, you know, maybe you start in there for feeding therapy, but now we're seeing some articulation issues and maybe that's where things are just not as wonderful. Or, you know, I see it sometimes in occupational therapy. And so there is an opportunity if you're in a clinic and you want to stay in the clinic to maybe talk to the uh, clinical director about potentially switching providers within that clinic. Because again, everybody has different expertise and also age ranges that they kind of specialize in. And I just know that as Caleb got older, Some of the providers that we were seeing when he was little or just weren't quite working because we were getting to kind of that next phase. And uh, I also think too, sometimes the therapies can get stagnant where a provider kind of does, here's their repertoire of things that they do during those sessions. And you start seeing the progress slow down a little bit. I
1: don't know, Tanya, have you ever had that? Well, I find that sometimes as your kid gets older, I feel like there's a lot of therapists that really specialize in working with the younger But it's really hard to find a therapist that really specializes as kids get older. Yes, like in elementary, like preschool. Mm -hmm. I felt like, you know, preschool, because they're still little
0: and they're fun and it's dynamic. And then when they get to elementary school, it just kind of changes. So, Tanya, what did you do when you kind of got to that place? How did you handle that?
1: Well, (laughs) in all honesty, my son's 10 right now. And with COVID, we just decided to take time off. Okay, And I actually am enjoying right now letting him just be a kid. Yeah. And so I honestly right now don't see us starting back up anytime soon because he's for so long, you know, even just getting through the school day is such more of a challenge for him than other kids. He has to work harder than other kids in every area to have him then go to therapy where he also has to continually to work hard. And I just am enjoying letting him just have downtime and to be able to play and be a kid. And, and I've been able to watch so many of his therapies that a lot of them, like now I feel like I can implement a lot of things myself at home as well now. Yeah. And that's actually a really good point is in my younger years
0: in my, when I was younger and had a lot more energy, um, The strategy that I had to use because we had really bad insurance was I literally sat in every single therapy session and I was making notes so that when I was seeing those providers do different things, I was making notes about how I could duplicate that at home so that we could maximize that because I could only afford a certain number of therapy sessions a week just because it costs so much money. And so after a while, as you become a little more seasoned, you are able to just incorporate some of those things that happen all the time in those sessions just in daily, it it just takes no effort whatsoever to make those teachable moments so you can carry that over at home. So I think that then in the times where you feel like you need to take a break from therapy and just allow them to be a kid, you still have some of those tools that you as a parent are naturally pulling from so that you can implement those. Now, have either of you guys, well, Tanya, or Carly, it's a little early for you, but Tanya, have you ever just decided that, you know, this isn't, I'm not loving this therapy center
1: and decided to try out another center? Actually, no, I haven't had to. Granted, my son lives not diagnosed with autism. Like, so we got therapy through the state just because he was delayed when he, so that was through the state when he was 19 months, but we didn't start private therapy till he was five. And he didn't get his autism diagnosis until he was five. And even then we only did occupational therapy and we liked the center and we didn't start actually doing ADA till we moved here to Spokane when he was in second grade. And we got lucky in like the first place that we found. So we yeah. really haven't had to do a lot of like jumping or switching. Gotcha. Yeah. Now, Carly, have
0: you, for the boys, since you've been pretty much doing interventions since they were home from the hospital, has there ever been a time where you've decided, oh, this isn't working and I want to switch centers for
2: whatever therapy interventions they were
0: utilizing at that time?
2: Um, Not in the therapy world, but we have with their medical specialists. And I think that's been like my biggest learning is that like, I am their advocate and I need to be able to have that voice when I don't feel like something is a good fit to be able to stand up and say that and advocate for my child so that we can find a place that is a better fit for them or for my comfort level or whatever it may be. So therapy, we've we've been very blessed with our providers and our therapists so far and haven't had to go down that road. But medically, we just made a big switch and decided to move one of my son's medical care from here to Seattle. And so we're driving to Seattle a couple times a year to see a doctor because I wasn't happy with our provider here and finally stood up for him and said something and found a better fit. So can you tell me what that looked
0: like? Because I do have a lot of families that do just, they get fed up, especially when they're specialized medical needs where they are just not happy because there's usually only one center in Spokane that specializes in it. And so then they will move over to Seattle. So can you kind of explain to us that process? Because I know you have to navigate it. And so uh, and I, mm-hmm. it seems like there is some pushback where the Spokane clinics, this the medical centers, aren't really on board with that. They kind of I,
2: I have I get the sense that they get a little prickly about it. Was that your experience? So with us, what happened was one of my kids. Sees he's way more medical specialists than the other one does. And he had been put back on a medication that we probably should never have been taken off of for the purpose they had us on it. Um, but they did take us off of it. His problems got worse. No one was testing for them, treating them, paying attention to them. It finally got caught. We got put back on the medication. And I was really uneasy about it. And it took my husband finally saying, like, you need to stand up for yourself. Like, you are with these kids 24-7. You're the one that knows what you think is good for them. You need to stand up for yourself. And so I actually started talking with our pediatrician because like I said, I feel like I have a great relationship with her and also with a few of our therapists at the therapy center because there are so many of the kiddos that they work with at the therapy center that have the medical needs too. And they were like, they just encouraged me to do the same thing to stand up for what I think is an issue. So I went back to our medical provider and told them, I'm really not comfortable with this decision. I'd like to talk about why. I'd like to talk about what our alternative options are. And the response I got was really negative and framed in a way that like, I wasn't willing to do what my, what needed to be done for my child. Like, this is what we think is going on. This is our answer to it. And if you're not willing to do this, you aren't caring for your child. And that put me in like mom of bear mode. <laughs> and I was like, yes! no, like, you, you know, nothing about my relationship with my children or what we've been through up until this point to be able to think I'd ever do anything other than what's best for them. And so for me, that was kind of the final straw. And I went back to our pediatrician and told her I I need to make a change. This is not going to work. And so she referred us over to the Seattle clinic. And I just called the clinic here in Spokane and said, we don't need our follow-up appointment anymore. We're gonna move to a different provider and just left it short and sweet. And that was the end
0: of that relationship. And was Seattle open to
2: then having that transition? Oh, yeah. Seattle was great or have been great. We went over for one doctor and ended up getting referred into their aerodigestive clinic at Swedish Hospital. and That's where we chose to go. And they were all open. They were all super nice, very understanding, and made it very clear that we weren't, by far, were not the first to do this. They had a lot of families. So they're very familiar and comfortable with helping families make that transition from care in Spokane that's now traveling for your child's medical care and kind of starting over with building relationships with doctors. Very cool and so then
0: um is it something where so you have some providers that are over in Seattle and then you use your therapy intervention providers here in Spokane is that kind of what you're
2: you kind of yeah them? yeah so we've got our our pediatrician our primary care doctors here in Spokane and um, just because having her close is by far the easiest. Um, And then all of our therapies are here in Spokane. Um, We're in six different therapies for one of the boys, five for the other. And those are all here in Spokane. And then our medical specialties—a large majority of those—are all over in Seattle now.
0: Gotcha. Well, I'm glad that worked out because I do see a lot of times for specialized, uh, you know, medical needs, we have a more. I'm seeing more and more families that are willing to travel to Seattle, and it seems to be working out well. One thing I do hear that's difficult is just, you know, when you have state insurance, sometimes there's that pushback of, you know, why we're going to Seattle to see those providers versus utilizing ones in Spokane, but.
2: Where yep. We have right. private and state. And so that helps. Oh, yeah, sorry.
0: <laughs> no, I think that's a really good point is, is that, yeah, I was going to ask you if you had private or
2: state. Yeah, we have both. Um, we, a huge blessing of the foster care system is when we adopted our boys, we were able to keep their state insurance. Um, so we, we opted to put them on our private as well, because we had heard that unfortunately that's the case. Lots of times if you only have state insurance, they might push back more. Your wait times might be more. You might not get into the doctor you want to get into. And so since we've heard those experiences, we chose to double insure them. Yeah, you are so smart, Carly.
1: What about you, Tanya? Was <laughs> it something you wanted to throw in there? Yeah, I was going to... We've considered looking into Seattle because I know Spokane is very limited on certain specialists. And right now, Logan's pediatrician does all his medication management. But I would love to find a really good child psychiatrist who really specializes because we've been on the whole medication, like train of like trial and error for so long. And his pediatrician has been great about it, but she even says, you know, she only has a certain like comfort level too with some medications. Yeah. And whereas
0: a psychiatrist would have that capacity and have a a higher depth of just knowing what options are available so that you can find the right option sooner, as opposed to that trial and error, because it's just so hard. A lot of them, you have to transition on, and then you have to transition off. And then, you know, they have to onboard again slowly. And it's just, it's hard. I'm with you, Tanya. That's another question I'm asked a lot is, you know, med- medication management providers. And I don't feel like
1: in can we... Yeah, I don't feel like we have many. That's why right now it really is just his pediatrician who's doing it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm with you. Um, Carly, can I pick on you again? Because when your boys were diagnosed with autism, we've actually had a lot of conversations because you're a great advocate for the boys and... You know, one of the suggestions was ABA and, you know, moving into and incorporating some ABA and you had some concerns about that.
2: Yes. Yeah, I was, it was the first time with any like service that had been recommended that I was hesitant everything else we've always jumped on board like yes yeah, let's try it whatever I can do for my kids and then ABA was the first one that I was like I'm I'm not sure if I want to go down this road
0: well can you explain why you were unsure because I'm sure it some of it has to do with just what's out there and what you you know because without having experienced it you're just taking things that you've read so what were some of the
2: reasons why you were unsure of it I think one of my biggest reasons was all our other therapies are fairly self-explanatory occupational therapy, speech therapy, physical therapy, you you have a pretty good understanding of what it is that they're going to do to help your kids. And ABA, I had zero idea. So I felt like we were going into it completely blind. I didn't know what this was that my child supposedly needed. I didn't know what it was I would want to look for for it. And so I did what you and Tanya talked about. I turned to social media and to the support groups whether it was one of the local ones or just like a general autism support group and started searching and reading through old posts of what people had looked for in ABA and what they liked about it and what they didn't like about it and it does not take much research to learn that it is a very polarizing topic and people either love it and are a hundred percent on board or people will tell you to stay away from it like the plague. so that's kind of where I sat and I was like I how do you make that decision yeah
0: I think you're absolutely right. So and so, then
2: here becomes
0: then the next step of that. It all comes down to finding the right provider, which
1: then becomes more stressful, right? And on like, get child and what works. What works for one child may not be the best type of therapy for another child.
0: Yes, and just even the behavior tech. Yeah. I mean, one behavior tech may be awesome, and but then all of a sudden that's not the behavior tech that you get. And so there are so many variables within ABA that absolutely it makes hundred percent sense that you would have a lot of reservations about it because it is a very polarized. When you get on social media and you start reading through the comments of people's experiences, it is terrifying because here's the interesting thing about it. I will have parents say, I'm really not happy with my, you know, ABA center. Anybody have any provider recommendations? And then you read through the comments and it's like, oh, I recommend this center. And it's like, well, that's the one that I hate. And then you're like, Oh, really? Because I love it. And it all goes down to every single family and their dynamic is different. Mm-hmm. And then the behavior text within those different therapy yeah.
1: centers very different. Very yeah, different. Yeah, we had one really awesome behavior tech who we loved, and she worked great with my son. And it was very child led. But then she ended up moving back to the other side of the state. And so then we lost her, and we just never found quite as good of a match since.
0: Yes. And that's exactly it. So, Carly, You and I had talked about it and what was your final decision about deciding whether or not you wanted to try
2: ABA? We decided to go ahead and try it because I have been so pro early intervention with the kids that I was decided that we might as well try this option two, and again my my husband knows me so well when it comes to my n- mindset with this kind of stuff thankfully and he just reminded me that like you're the boss so start down this road and if you don't like one of the texts, if you don't like APA at all then stop like you nothing says that just because you have to sign up you're there from day one until they tell you you're done you are there until you decide you're done um and so that's kind of the mindset that we went with Your husband is so so glad he gave you that encouragement because, and people need to hear
0: that. That's, that's, that's listening to this podcast is that you are not locked into, you know, no one's making you sign a contract that says you have to stay with them. There's no one that's saying that you can't switch like to a totally different center. There's nothing that says you can tell the clinical director, Hey, this behavior track really is not the best. You have so many options and I just make, it breaks my heart that families feel like they don't have options now Carly, back to picking on you again, because this, you know, this has been a fairly, our conversation has been over the last few months, you were really lucky because you and I had talked about it because of your reservations. And then because I knew that you were looking for ABA centers, every time I heard that there is a center that had some openings, I would send that to you. So you ended up having the opportunity to interview. And because the boys are younger, you had the opportunity to kind of Mm -hmm. look. Different, a couple different options, which a lot of families, because there's always wait lists. You know, they're on a wait list, then they get called saying, "Hey, we have an opening," and so
2: then it's kind of like, "Do you go with them or don't you go with them?" But you had a couple of options, so how did you handle that? I was very excited because I had heard exactly what you said that it's a long wait list, um, and our pediatrician had kind of wrote a blank referral for us and sent it to all the centers and told us the same thing: the wait lists are long, so I'm just going to send them to everybody. And when you get a call just go with that place because great, someone called you. And that made me really nervous because again, I didn't, I still don't totally feel like I have a grasp on ABA. And so I was like, I'm going to go in. I I have nothing to compare it to. I don't know what questions to ask. I don't have past experiences. And so I was really nervous about It felt like going on, it felt like an arranged marriage. That's a good way to put it. I felt like I was going into an arranged marriage. (laughs) You're going to, you're going to go with this one provider because that's who you were lucky enough to get a call from. And we, that's exactly the situation we were in. And within literally like a day of setting up our interview with the, the lucky provider that had called us, Holly, you texted me and said, look at this, like, here's a new clinic it sounds like they have room, you should give them a call. And so I called and talked to them and called and talked to my insurance. And our insurance was great enough to write us a second opinion acceptance as well. And so we were able to interview with two places in the same week. And I am a big feelings and first impression person. And so it did not take me long to make a decision between the two once I got to meet with them in person and just had a feeling for which one would be better. But I'm, I'm so thankful that we were one of the lucky few that had that option. We didn't have to wait super long and I got to meet with two different places to see what felt like a better fit for my kids and for our family. So imagine that you
0: had your option of any center. What would be questions that you would feel like are important to ask? Because I know in my mind, just as an autism parent, what what would be important to me. So think about that, Tanya, Carly. What type of questions did you ask when you were having these conversations? Were there any important things that you wanted to make sure that you asked
2: them? One of my biggest ones was I wanted to make sure they weren't going to change my child. That's one of the things that you hear so much in negative experiences with ABA is people felt like they were they were changing the core of who their child was they weren't just supporting them and helping them learn to navigate situations better but they were trying to stop some of the more quote unquote autistic behaviors and really change who that child was. And I I didn't want that. I want my kids to be who they are. We love our children and who they are. One of my children stems, but it's not a harmful stem. And so I don't want that change because I know it's comforting to him. So for me, it was a lot about asking one, how they've dealt with young kids, because We are in a non-normal situation where my twins are only two and a half years old. So they are on the young side. So I wanted to know how they worked with young kids. And then I wanted to know how they worked with the idea of autism in general. Were they there to support my kids and help them learn to navigate day to day better? Or are they there to really change some of those behaviors that I maybe didn't feel like needed changed? Um, And for me, that was really the biggest thing. Yeah, one of the things that I
0: see as Tanya is still contemplating like her world.
2: One of the
0: things that you had kind of led into that, Carly, is on social media when you ask that question or you read some through some of the recommendations or experiences from other parents is one of the reasons families become disenchanted with their existing ABA provider is because the behavior text changed so much. So like Tanya, as what you said, you had an amazing one and unfortunately she left the area. And so then the person that you're matched with is just not the same bit and it doesn't work. And so I feel like one of the questions I asked and Carly had asked me, what are the list of questions that you ask? And I said, mine are really always geared towards turnover. Turnover is a really important thing for me. And if you have a center that actually has a high turnover of their behavior tech, it it tells me that they're not valuing and paying their providers appropriately in order to keep them going. So they either feel, don't feel like they're being supported, perhaps the pay is low, maybe their culture needs to be improved. I don't know. But it, that to me is a red flag. When you see there's a lot of turnover, but you don't want a lot of transitions. Our kids don't love transitions in general. And so Tommy,
1: how do you feel about because I know that that's been one of your big challenges. Yeah, we um, were fortunate, like, Our behavior tech who left, it had nothing to do with the clinic. It had to do with a family situation. And she wanted to further her education to actually become a BCBA. And so she asked me for a letter of recommendation, which I gladly wrote for her. Is the behavior
0: tech piece a question that you would ask now, knowing what you know? Mm -hmm. Those Any
1: questions that you get concerned about? Yes, because my child definitely does need consistency. He does not handle change super well changes hard on him and it also really depends on their scheduling too on who you get.
0: Yeah. And that's another one too is kind of the, uh, you know, availability. So is that questions that then you're asking in terms of like schedule? Yeah,
1: that's definitely a question I would ask. And I would also ask how much parents are a part of like creating what goals they want for their child. Like Carly was saying, you don't want to change like who your child is. And so I wanted to be very much a part in like, I could be a part of like determining what goals my child would be working
0: towards. And I think that's a really important part is being part of that goal. And then schedule is important
1: too. And then one of the negatives I had heard about often about ABA prior to starting was like, people were very like it can become very like compliance based and I didn't want that. And So I wanted it to be a lot more like child-led. So it's not like always feeling like so much like work, work, work for my child. And so the behavior tech that we loved, she used to sit down with my son and he struggled with writing, but she would write it for him on a whiteboard. And they used to write these hilarious stories together just for fun. So it was very child-led. Yeah. And it uses imagination and... One of
0: the, And that's a really good point that you made me think of while you're talking. And that's the beautiful thing about these podcasts is as you, everyone joins in and, and offers information, it jogs a, a, a thought. But another piece of information I think is important is, Carly, your kiddos are very young, but you need to make sure that you have providers that are going to be able to grow with your kiddo. Because again, our goal is long term. We want to keep those providers. They are a natural fit. We want to keep them as long as possible, but I do think it's important to ask questions about, you know, the age ranges they're comfortable working with, because if they're really great with preschoolers, but then not as solid when you get into the higher elementary, well, that could be something to consider now. You know, we can always make transitions and changes later on, but, you know, those are questions I like to ask too, is what age ranges are the behavior techs and the centers comfortable and successful working with? One other thing that I think is a completely valid point at times for families is I talk about seasons a lot and I used to be in my younger years when Isaac was little, I was very judgy and I just couldn't understand why, you know, parents weren't hundred percent in and willing to drive 300 miles for, you know, like this doctor or whatever it would take to help Isaac be his best self. And over the years, I have realized that that is a very narrow. perspective. And so things that I also think is important to acknowledge and give parents some grace is, is that it is sometimes okay to pick therapy intervention centers that are convenient to you. In other words, you know, if you live way up north, it is okay to be looking in terms of therapy centers that are in closer proximity to where you live, because you have to drive so much. I swear... The number of hours I put on my, you know, miles I put on my vehicle over the years is just crazy. I've just, I drive cars into the ground because of the number of hours, you know, miles that I have to put on my vehicle. And so I think for some families that you hear all the most wonderful things about a therapy provider center and all your friends are raving about a center, but they're way out in the Valley and you live way up North and it's going to be a 35 minute drive each time you have to take them to the provider. And you just don't think that you can handle that or make that type of commitment, don't kill yourself over that. Because again, therapy is good. And um, you're not locked into it, you can take some of those spots, and then you can transition later on. Or you can also get to a different place in life where you have the capacity to be able to be in the car more. So maybe your other kids are older, and they can, you know, self entertain a little bit easier. But I just know that there's a lot of families that really beat themselves up over the fact that They make decisions that are based off of what is more convenient for the parent, maybe not what their best, what everybody is raging and excited about. And that's okay too, because there's a season for everything and everybody's at a different place. And if you can only manage a couple therapy interventions during the course of a week, don't beat yourself up over that, because, you know, this is a hard journey. And I just, it breaks my heart when people, parents are so hard on themselves and they feel like they're such a failure and they're letting their kids down. Um, Number one, if you love them, that that's the first thing you love them and you want them to be their best self and you do what you can at that moment. Like that is good because it changes. It ebbs and flows. I beat myself up for years because I didn't feel like I was giving Caleb all the different things. That I was doing for Isaac because you know I had more kids, I was tired, I was having to work more, and it just really trashed my mental health. And if you can't be healthy and in a good place for your kiddos, then it doesn't matter what therapy interventions you can access. If you're not in a good place, then you're not going to be able to help your kiddo. Um, so that old uh, saying, you know, you got to put your oxygen mask on first. You got to do some self-care for yourself so that you can be your best parent for your kiddos. So just be gentle with yourself and don't beat yourself up and, you know, get down on yourself for feeling like you're not, you know, you're not doing enough because you are, you know, if you love them and, you know, you, you know, are still a, a strong advocate for them, you know, that is good too. So, um, Carly, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up? Um,
2: I just really agree with what you just said. I think it'd be my biggest, um, and that's been our learning curve. And for me, a lot of it is because I have twins that are both autistic, and so I can't be dropping one child off at one therapy and then have another therapy on the other side of town or two hours later that I have to drive back into town for, um, because we do live up north, so I mean, we have to drive into town. So that's been a big one for me, is I have to learn that if I can't make something work, it's not because I don't care about my child. It's because I have to be able to function and I have to be there for them and they need to get their naps in during the day. So I can't jeopardize nap time to fit one more thing in. And my husband works a lot in his, his normal job and he's in the reserves in the military. And so he's gone a lot. And so I, it needs to be things that while we have great family and great support, I need to know that I can handle it and I can drive them and I can be at things. So that's really been our big learning curve because I am so proactive. And so in favor of early interventions, it's easy to get overloaded with lots and lots and lots of different things. So I totally agree that you have grace with yourself because you're doing what's best for your family and your kids. Yeah. And it changes because
0: again, you know, as they get older, your capacity to be able to manage that will change and and you just have to adapt and just love yourself. You know, that's the biggest thing. Any final thoughts for you? Yeah.
1: I would just say, go with that. Uh, if something doesn't feel right, Or it's not working. Don't be afraid to just make a change. Yeah, completely agree. As a parent, you know your child better than anyone else. Don't let anyone tell you anything differently. Yes, I oh, 100% agree with that. And as always, um, I'm always open at
0: the Isaac Foundation. If you have questions, we have a local provider list that you can download from our website if you want to see what options are out there. If you're interested, I, like I said, I would highly recommend if you're on social media, seek out some of your local special needs parenting groups that are online because then you can specifically ask for recommendations or like Carly did, whether you feel comfortable posting or not, you can go through and read previous comments or posts that people have made and just see what's kind of kind of out there. So I think that's good point, Carly. All right. With that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Isaac's Autism in the Wild, and we will see
2: you next time.
0: And that's it for now. If you want to be notified of our next podcast release, be sure to hit subscribe. And just remember, we're all in this together. So find your
2: tribe and hold them tight.